Welcome to the British American Football Coaches Association podcast, a resource designed to support both British football coaches and coaches from around the world. This podcast features special guests discussing techniques, scheme, philosophies and culture for the sport of American football to help develop and grow the game worldwide. Now here's your host, Adam Lillis. Hello and welcome to the BAFCA Coaching Podcast. Today's guest is Coach John Daniels, who will be talking about the principles of greatness. So let's listen in to Coach Daniels. Hello and welcome to the BAFCA Coaching Podcast with me, your host, Adam Lillis. I'm delighted to be joined today by the head coach of Kenton Ridge High School, Coach John Daniels. Coach, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing great. Thank you very much. I'm glad to have you on the show. You were recommended by one of our coaches over here in the UK, Coach Chris Stone. Um, So let's get into that. Why don't we give ourselves a little introduction about who you are, how you got into football, um, and all the way up to your coaching career to the current day, and how you know Coach Chris. Sure. Um, I I was a guy, so I grew up in Ohio most of my life, right? I I live in uh, Ohio now. Um, I grew up in a, in a household that was a single family or single parent household and to say the least and make a long story short, we struggled quite a bit coming up. So I uh, had gotten into a little bit of trouble <laughs> throughout my early schooling years. And then at one point, uh, a coach in what we call middle school here in America, I don't know if you guys call it the same, but uh, grade uh, seven going into grade eight, a coach pulled me off to the side and said, Hey, you're a big kid. Why don't you quit being a knucklehead and come join the football team? Right. And from there, I just had an, an amazing experience of connecting with different coaches who genuinely cared about me and probably helped kind of tr- uh, change the trajectory of my life to where I was getting into a, a good amount of trouble, probably on a road that I shouldn't have been on, but they kind of helped direct me in the right way. So from there, I go play high school football, had, had some good success there, and ended up uh, joining Wittenberg University, which is also uh, here in Ohio, or in Ohio as well. Um, after my first year at Wittenberg, uh, it was right at the time that, that we uh, started the war in Iraq here uh, worldwide, right, the war on terror. Uh, so I decided to go join the Army and did that for six years before uh, going back as an older uh, guy and then playing college football again. So that's kind of how I met Chris is when I went back to Wittenberg University um, after, after my time in the Army. He was actually a, a sophomore on Wittenberg's football team. So we ended up actually being in the same class and uh, played three years of football together. Uh, had a, a ton of similarities between us. Um, he, he was a history major. I'm a history major. Uh, we, we had a lot of conversations on away trips, always set by each other, that sort of thing, and, and developed a really good friendship. Um, from there, I got into coaching after I graduated from Wittenberg in 2013. And I actually, my first coaching job was uh, for a guy named Ryan Wohite, who's uh, at Springboro High School, which also happens to be where Chris played high school football. So it worked out that I had this additional connection with Chris, where now I was actually coaching at his alma mater high school. So uh, I did that for a couple years, um, kind of moved up the coaching ranks probably a little too quick, to be honest with you. My first year, uh, I was coaching at, at Springboro as a freshman defensive coordinator, which is ninth graders only. Um, and it's a division one school here, here in Ohio with a lot of, a lot of players, uh, probably about 130 players total in the program, um, nine through 12. But anyway, I started off being a freshman defensive coordinator. And then the following year, our varsity defensive coordinator took a, a head coaching job. So I uh, moved up to that position. And then the following year, so in my third year of coaching, I was offered a head coaching job. Uh, at a at a school 
uh, here in Ohio. So I took that, um, realized pretty quick that I, I moved up the ranks a little too quick. I didn't have all the answers. We had a thin roster and there was a, a major lack of alignment. I would say within the, the school, within the, the coaching staff, all those things. And I knew I was in a position where I wasn't going to be able to pull things together. So I decided it was, it was best for everybody involved for me to, to kind of step away from that situation, which was really probably one of the best things that's happened to me in coaching because it put me on this path of, okay, you've got to become significantly better and you got to invest time, energy, and, and all the resources you have and then going out and learning more about uh, what it takes to build a successful program. So from there, I actually went back and coached college football at Wittenberg University. I worked with quarterbacks um, there and then uh, recently took over uh, as head coach at Kenton Ridge High School. Fantastic. Um, so we were talking a little bit uh, before we started recording and then we're drawing comparisons between your role as a head coach of a, a high school in Ohio um, to what we have over here in the UK in terms of similar resources and uh, the ability to do certain things and not do certain things. And that leads us on to the topic of today, which is the principles of greatness. Um, so just as a starting point, why don't you give us like an introduction to what the principles of greatness is and what it means and where you sort of discovered this uh, principle from? Yeah, so I, I, I told you I, I was humbled in my first head coaching experience uh, and, and realized that I had to get significantly better if I was going to accomplish the things I wanted to do in coaching. So that, that started me on a path of going out and seeking kind of uh, information that would help me solve some of the problems that, that I hope we can talk about here today, like lack of resources and getting people aligned and all those things. Um, in quick side note here, um, one of the reasons I felt like I struggled as a head coach is I was coming from a division one football program with a, a, a massive amount of resources and, and 150 players down to a division uh, four program where we only had 35, 40 kids on the team. So it was, it was this massive kind of drawback in the amount of resources available, the amount of players available, all those things. So anyway, I, I, I go out and I seek, okay, what is, what is a better way to start structuring a, an organization? And I was actually suggested by some coaching friends that I was talking to. And, and one of them who had made a similar, well, kind of a similar jump where he went from, from coaching a very small uh, team and, and 35 some players to, to going and jumping up and, and coaching a 70 player roster and then took them to a state title here in Ohio, which is kind of the ultimate goal. But he suggested this book to me called uh, Good to Great by an individual named Jim Collins. So to give you some backstory, this is where the principles of greatness comes in. It's these, these principles that Jim Collins discovers through research, right? So long story short, um, Good to great. Jim Collins takes 20 researchers and over five years time, they research the best companies um, in, in America at the time. Right. And this was the mid nineties. I think it was like 1993. They were doing this. So five years time, 20 researchers, they start off with 1500 publicly owned companies and narrow it down through, uh, through research and 40 years of those companies history into 11 companies that were great. But here was the catch was those companies also had what Jim Collins referred to as a matched pair was it was a company that was just like the great company and had all the same resources, had all the same uh, timing, all that. But one company became great where the other ones kind of became mediocre or failed altogether. In fact, majority of the companies ended up um, ceasing to exist. Either they were bought up by another company, whatever the case may be. So anyway, long story short, 
Jim Collins focuses on, okay, what happens for this transition point? How does one company at the exact same time become great and, and has this long-term success where the other company that had the exact same uh, resources and availability become mediocre? And what he outlined over his five years of studying these companies was principles of, of what he called greatness within the organizations. Um, so that's kind of where uh, where the idea of, of applying principles of greatness comes from is this idea that there's organizational structure that that leads to kind of great outcomes um, and it can be applied to to football um, in fact i i would argue and the person who suggested this book to me would argue this is should be the starting point if you're taking over a football program is understanding how structurally you should organize the thing to um, create what we'll talk about later on as a flywheel effect to create positive momentum uh, towards success. So that's kind of the backstory on, on the uh, principles of greatness. Um, he comes up with, with several different um, principles, if you want to call them that. Um, the first is level five leadership. Um, and, and level five leadership, we won't spend a bunch of time talking about it, I don't think, but it, it's basically all these great companies had leaders who were invested in the long-term success of the company and its future success beyond what their kind of notoriety would get. So, so the, the point here is it, it was led by individuals who weren't selfishly motivated. They weren't focused on, okay, how can I get success? How can I get fame? How can I get wealthy off this? Instead, it was this idea that the program is the most important piece, the program first. I imagine being a, and this is me talking without any experience, right? But I would imagine being a coach in the UK right now, there's a, a lot of individuals who are in this for long-term program oriented things, not necessarily the notoriety they're going to get, right? You guys are on the, uh, in some cases, the, the bottom level here, building this thing from the ground up. And I, I think there's a huge amount of uh, intrinsic value there, right? Where it's, it's incredibly motivating. I can imagine uh, to do that for, for the long-term success of football in the UK, more so than the notoriety you're going to get out of it. Is that a fair statement, Adam? Absolutely. Yeah, that's very fair. Yeah, I think so. So I would say there's probably a lot of individuals just off the basis of, of how football's kind of evolving in the UK that, that possess level five leadership as an inherent trait, right? So that one's not necessarily overly important to us to talk about. One I do think is really important to talk about is something that uh, Jim Collins called a hedgehog uh, concept. Hedgehog concept. So he basically started off with this parable, right? And he, he said, there, there's this old parable that uh, a fo between a fox and a hedgehog and a fox is a, a naturally cunning creature. He's very intelligent. He's very smart. He can devise new strategies and new methods. And every day this fox would go out and try to catch a hedgehog. And every day he'd come up with a new strategy and a new plan and a new method and, and would approach the hedgehog in a different way or find a new uh, spot to attack the hedgehog at. But every day the hedge or the fox tried to attack this hedgehog, the hedgehog resorted to its one natural thing that it's really good at. It curled up in a little ball and the fox couldn't get to it because of the coils the hedgehog had and all that stuff. So every day this hedgehog would go about his daily life and as soon as the danger popped up, he would resort to what he does best, right? Be a hedgehog. So Jim Collins argues that these organizations that became great over a long period of time, they created a hedgehog concept to kind of apply their, their principles within their industry, right? Um, 
where the other companies kind of bounced around with different strategies, different approaches, didn't really ever figure out what their concept was, what are they great at was. So I would argue this for, for us, a, a division four school in Ohio. And then, like I said, I, I coach right now, we're hoping to get to 70 next year, but that'll be the most we have in, in, probably the last five, six years, last year we had 50 guys. So we, we only have a, a small amount of, of, of guys available to us. We have a small amount of resources. So it becomes really important to us, in my opinion, that we become really good at who we are and I, really good at identifying this is who we are, this is what we do. So Jim Collins argues there are three uh, questions, if you want to call them that, that you can ask yourself to get to this hedgehog concept. And, and his point for the business world was every one of these companies had to start with, okay, what are they passionate about? Right. For us in football, it's, it's no different. Why are you involved in football in the first place? Your passions may be different than my passions being many of you are starting programs for the first time in the UK where I've, I've I'm in high school football, which has been around for years and years and years here in America. For me, my passion. And, and as I sat down and interviewed my coaches, um, their passions started off with this, the same thing is helping development of character. For me personally, I told you a story earlier, I was a, a junior high student, a middle school student that got in a ton of trouble, right? I was not on the right path. Coaches kind of helped direct my life in a way that was, was going to be something much more productive than the path I was on. So for me, my passion in coaching comes from wanting to pay it forward, so to speak, wanting to give other people the same benefits I received from coaching. So as I sat down and I, I talked to my coaches that were uh, going to be on my staff, I asked them the first question, what do they hope to accomplish in coaching? Not really knowing what I was going to get out of them, but every one of them talked about connections with kids and, and developing kids. So it became very clear for us when we're talking about the first circle in the hedgehog concept is, okay, what are we passionate about? For us, it's developing character. For you guys in your different situations over there, if, you, if you're saying, okay, how are we going to narrowly focus uh, what we're going to do with, with something like the hedgehog concept, it may be vastly different. But I think figuring out what you're passionate about is the most important. The next circle for Jim Collins was, okay, how in the business world he's talking here, he said, how can you uh, find what you can be the best at in the world, right? Because you're, you're competing in a global market and you're selling different things. So you want to find what you can make the most money on, what you can be best at in the world. This has to change a little bit, I think, in football. And for us, as we discuss this as a group, and I discussed it with other head coaches, this one becomes what you can become the best in your area of competition. So for us, it means what can we become the best in the state of Ohio at? Um, for us, we talked about player development. We don't have a ton of just naturally athletic kids in the area we're in. But we do have kids that are invested. We do have kids that come from great families who have the resources to provide them with what they need to, to grow and succeed. So for us, we wanted to focus our efforts of becoming great on player development and making sure we, we are aligning our players um, with, with what they can do best in our program. But we're also taking whatever player it is, X, Y, or Z, whatever talent levels, and getting them uh, – closest to their ceiling as possible right for for some guys i talk to in the coaching world what they can become best at is a triple option offense right and that's what they know that's what their staff knows and that's what they're passionate fine it's whatever can lead to your success on the field right 
And then the last circle, and this is the one I think is really, really important for us. And I also think looking at from the outside, looking in the UK, it would be important to you guys too. Jim Collins talks about the third circle of, of a hedgehog concept being what can drive your uh, economic engine in, in the business world. That is what makes money. But when you apply this to social sectors, when you apply it to things like football or education or whatever it is, you need a whole lot more than just money to make your program run. You need people, you need uh, players to volunteer, you need coaches to volunteer. In our sense, we need parents to buy into what we're doing because they're a significant portion of how their, their child's going to experience high school football in America. I, I can't imagine all the different things you would need over there, but I imagine it's a whole lot more than just money. Throwing money at, at your research problem isn't going to give you all the resources you need to be successful. So instead of saying what drives your economic engine, we approach this from a standpoint of what drives your resource engine. What is going to lead to more and more people being willing to get on your get on board with you guys and in and, and, uh, generating the type of uh, progress you want to see in your programs. So um, for us, I'll tell you what ours is. When, when we sat down and talked about this as our staff, we said in our community, if we can, you got to do one thing first, you got to win football games first, right? You, you got to make sure people see the success on the football field, but that's not enough. It's not enough to just win football games. And I'll give you an example. If, if our coaching staff went out and we just cheated nonstop and we cursed at our kids constantly and, and, and our kids were out in the community here and they were uh, bad kids that were uh, constantly cussing in public and acting like idiots. And then it came out in the news that, that we uh, were videotaping somebody's practice to get an edge in the game on Friday night. Even if we went 10 and 0, but we were doing it that way, our community wouldn't buy in. And therefore it wouldn't provide us the resources we need because people wouldn't be willing to uh, volunteer their time, wouldn't be uh, willing to volunteer the, uh, the support we need in our fundraisers or any of those things because we're not doing it the right way. So that last resource engine for us becomes winning games, but also positively impacting our community. So everything we talk about within our program has to align with those three circles. And that becomes the significant portion of the hedgehog concept from, from Jim Collins. And the one I think applies most to football, right? This clear concept of this is who we are, this is what we do, and not deviating from that. And sometimes that means you've got to get stuff out of your program. Sometimes that means you've got to change your program. I'll give you a great one for us. We had a decision this year in our fundraising decisions where we had a fundraiser that made, I think, somewhere in the ballpark between eight to 10 grand over the last two years for us when we did it, each of the last two years. So it, it was a decent uh, fundraiser for us, pretty good fundraiser that become kind of a basis for us buying resources. But that fundraiser did very little to make any positive impact in our community. In fact, it was kind of asking our community to to give us money without really providing anything back to it in a positive way. So we had to make the tough decision to say it doesn't align with us. So we've got to change what we're doing there to make sure it's aligning with a positive impact in our community, because that's going to help drive our resource engine. And over time, that's going to help lead to us having more people being willing to uh, provide the financial support, the, the volunteerism that we need to, to make things work, to get involved in, in, providing meals for our players and all the things you need to make these things work. Right. So that's, that's just kind of one of those deals, but, but the, the goal here becomes making sure all your decisions fall within those three circles. That is what you're passionate about, what you can become the best in your area of competition for us. It's the state of Ohio for you, for you guys. I'm not sure how your divisions or, or how your brackets are set up over there, or any of those things, but how you can become the best in your area of competition. And then lastly, what can drive your resource engine? 
right? And we've gone so far to make this uh, uh, a logo for us. We, we took the center of those three circles and my wife, who's an expert at, <laughs> expert at designing things and an expert in just about everything, she makes up for my lack of expertise in many ways, but she designed us this shield uh, that becomes kind of a logo that represents that for a player. So everything we send out to them has that shield on it. And they kind of know what it means and how it aligns with our goals and all those things. And we talk to parents, same thing. We present that to them. So anyway, you get this idea of, of the hedgehog concept being simple and your simple response to everything you do. So then you use that as the basis of your program and everything you do builds around that concept. Does that kind of answer kind of the basis of, of, what the principles of greatness are there coach absolutely um not a lovely more but i think we can circle back to them sorry i didn't mean to cut you off there's okay. a couple more, but i think we can circle back to them as we go through some of the, the additional questions you have here absolutely and i was just going to say i love listening to these sort of things and we had tim kite on a few episodes ago talking about these sort of uh, leadership model and things like that i guess my question is and i think a lot of coaches will have a similar question in the uk there's a lot of resource out there for stuff like uh, the book that you're referring to and focus three and other elements of culture and leader leadership development i guess i think you're alluding to it a little bit there in your in your last answer but what's the for you especially what was the practical steps of getting from looking at the hedgehog principle or hedgehog concept as you were describing you've discussed it as a staff you've outlined all these areas you know that's what you're going to hang your hat on but then once you go out there on the practice field or at games or in the community what are some of the more practical things that you're doing in order to maintain uh, those principles absolutely so there's there's this great idea that comes out of uh the the research that Jim Collins did in, in Principles of Greatness, and it's collaborated with a bunch of different uh, resources out there as well. But it, it's this idea that the first thing you have to do as a, as a football coach in a program or, or any organization really is get the right people involved and then make hard decisions to, I'll just be blunt here, oftentimes that means you got to get the wrong people off the bus, right? So you're getting the right people on the bus, the wrong people off the bus. To me, that's step one. And when I took over the program here at Kenton Ridge, that led to some really difficult conversations, right? And it made me want to make sure every guy in the, now it helped because I was on the staff prior to taking over, but it made me have conversations with everybody involved to decide whether or not they were going to be the right fit going forward. That's led me to get rid of a coach that I consider a, a pretty good friend, right? A guy that I think is, is a, a good person, but he just wasn't a right fit for us. It's also led to me not hire a guy that probably led to me taking some, some heat in our community a little bit because he's well-respected in our community. But at the same time, he wasn't the right fit for where we're going. So the first who then what approach becomes significantly important. In fact, I would argue the most important step in the process here. If it's not the right person to be involved in your program, and I'm, I'm talking here from a coaching standpoint, but this goes from multiple perspectives. For us, if it's, it's a parent that shouldn't be involved in the program and is, is involved in some way, shape, or form, a booster member, a, a player even, right? Those sort of things. But that's the first step. And again, it has to align with kind of your outline of this is who we are, this is where we're going. Um, and, and then 
it's a disciplined approach. Those are hard conversations. I'm going to tell you, those two conversations I just mentioned to you, of getting rid of a coach that was here before that I consider a pretty good guy and then not bringing on a guy that has been a coach in our community for a long time. Those were hard conversations to have, and they weren't easy decisions. And it, it's something that I met with and talked about and, and kind of kept me up at night at times. But at the end of the day, when you're focused on, like you guys are, building programs from the ground up to create uh, th this football world in, in the UK, or, or like I'm focused on, making sure that we're putting players in the best position to grow and develop in, into great young men as we can, then that goal has to be at the forefront of what you're doing. And, and sometimes that means hard conversations. So I, to answer your question, the first thing for me would be the first uh, who, then what approach is really sitting down and really assessing everybody involved and then making some tough decisions on getting people off the bus. There's another part of that that says, okay, you might have some person on your staff or involved in your program that just doesn't fit the spot they're in. Sometimes those are hard conversations where now I got to get you in a different seat on the bus, so to speak, to put you in a better position to serve our goals. Um, another really important part of this process is, is creating a, establishing this kind of, um, culture of discipline, meaning I'm going to create, so in our staff meetings, which we're all doing on Zoom right now, no different than this meeting, we create a culture of every decision has to have somebody playing what we call devil's advocate, right? Somebody's got to be the, this is the, the doom and gloom version of what could happen if we go down this path. In, in focusing on not only kind of group think where everybody, this is a great idea, let's go full steam ahead, but also making sure you examine the, the downsides of all decisions. Um, so we make sure we assign, assign somebody's the wrong way to say it, but every time we, we talk about something, I make sure I call out, okay, who's going to devil advocate this? Somebody devil advocate and let's, let's get the best uh, thoughts out there on that as well. So that's kind of another practical step, getting the right people on the bus, creating this culture of disciplined thoughts. And, and for us, like I said, that means getting parents involved and in, in the right parents involved and making sure they're involved in disciplined conversations. When we had our parents meeting, um, again, not every, I, I, I relayed some of those things, not, not every kid's going to get the exact outcome they want from this team. That's just the reality of it, but we got to have discipline approach to it to put everybody in their best seat. So the goal here, in my opinion, is, is to create kind of a flywheel effect where you're, uh, you're creating this longevity of positive decisions and they're not big decisions. So, excuse me, they're not big changes. They're small steps along the way. So for instance, I gave you the, the fundraising example, right? Where I'm aligning my fundraising with, with, with a goal. Another one might be, um, I don't know, choosing a kid to play a premier position, quarterback, for instance, right? We might have a kid that's really just athletically gifted and without any player development, he would be the best quarterback on our roster. But if given the possibility of working with a kid for four or five months in the offseason, we have another kid that may be a better fit at quarterback for doing what we need out of that position to make the decisions involved with that position. So instead of taking the easy, safe route of saying, okay, we're just going to put this more athletic kid here because we can do the things we need from an athletic standpoint and be a problem for everybody, we go through the process of saying, okay, we're going to train these guys to the highest level of their capabilities, making sure both guys are, are – 
receiving the training they need to, to fill this thing. And then we're going to make some hard decisions as to, to which one really puts us in the best decision, as opposed to just, I think sometime in the coaching world, we just say, okay, this kid's athletic and he's going to give us an edge. So let's just go that route. And well, I, I think that's shortchanging some things too. It's not necessarily a disciplined thought. And over time you probably create some negative momentum on your flywheel effect with doing things like that. So hopefully I gave you what you need there, coach. Absolutely. Um, I guess just to spin it on its head a little bit, you're in a situation where you've now got your coaching staff on board. They're all aligned to your to your message. How does that then transfer to being on the practice field and making sure that those players are doing the same things? I mean, is it just a case of reinforcing the message on a daily basis or is it something more in-depth to that? Um, we have three goals, right, that all of our players know that aligns with our three things we, we've talked about as, as being most important, our three th circles, right? Um, so when we talk about uh, developing character and that sort of thing, uh, we talk about trust for our guys so they know that's, that's a major goal. Um, when we talk about, okay, player development's a major goal for this program, our guys talk about when we talk to it with our players, I mean, we talk about outworking everyone is kind of our goal. We're going to become the hardest working group that's out there um, from the standpoint of, of making sure we're constantly getting better. So they know that's one of our goals. And then when we talk about making a positive impact on our community while winning football games, we talk about maximizing others. So it, it, all those things are constantly reinforced throughout our, our, uh, our program with our, with our players working with coaches and all those things. Those three goals are always aligned. In fact, we've gone so far, I'll give you this little, tidbit it's it's uh it, it's really good we kind of stole it from a, a university of florida um softball team actually is where we stole it from but we've turned this into a team building activity where when we go out on the the practice field to start fall camp we have a block wall right that that we make um and each player on the team writes down their name and then what they're bringing to the team that year on that that brick wall on, on a brick on an individual brick excuse me so they make an individual brick one one side's their name, the other side's what they're bringing to the team. And then we make mortar, right? So, they, so let me back up a little bit. I'm getting ahead of myself. They build the wall up with bricks, and then you push the, the brick wall over and show them without mortar that the brick wall is useless. And then you talk about, okay, so what goes in the mortar? And it just so happens there's three ingredients in mortar, right? There, there's sand, gravel, and then whatever's going to hold it all together. So we talk about those, each of those three ingredients fitting with our three kind of uh, uh, program goals that aligns with our hedgehog concept so that's that's just some of the little ways we communicate that message to our players right but then all the decisions we make on there you got to understand when you're talking about player player development becomes your kind of on the field goal it well it better align right so if i for instance if i took the practice field and i said okay we're just going to work our top players our guys that we're not going to play on friday nights just our ones are getting reps today and everybody else is going to, you'll get reps when you can or whatever, right? We're ignoring you. That doesn't align. Like, you're, you're, you're bullcrapping at that point. You're saying this is who I am, but in reality, your actions aren't, aren't displaying that. So when we sit down and we develop our practice plans, it's still focused around our three goals. When I say we make every decision in that, that's, that's real talk, right? That's not, that's not bullcrap. So when we sit down and make a practice plan, one of our hardest conversations we work through is, okay, how can we make sure every guy's getting reps at this? How can we make sure we're not just giving our ones reps, but also our second group's getting reps, our young groups are getting reps. And it's led us to make probably some 
in our world of high school sports in Ohio, probably some innovative decisions on how we're going to structure practice, but then also how we're going to, in a team session, for instance, where you're just running, I don't know, maybe you're just running through what we call an inside run, where you're just running run plays. Well, it, it's making us be innovative on how we're attacking that because we got to make sure that everybody's getting the opportunity to get some of those reps because player development's what our focus is. So those things constantly permeate our conversation as a staff. Um, and we'll talk, uh, a little bit later about kind of a, a part the whole teaching method, but it aligns with that as well. The, the, the part the whole teaching method that I hope to talk about today aligns with the idea of, okay, we've got to make sure all players are getting developed in this area. And then that's translating over to the, uh, the practice field. So I'll give you a, a little tidbit here. The, the answer we came up with was we're going to do a series of four plays, right? So in, in that same inside run period, we talked about a second ago where we're just running run plays. We're going to do a series of four plays. Our first group's going to get the first reps going one way on the field. So if you can imagine a field, right, we're on the 50-yard line, let's say. Our first group's going to go against our second group going one way on the field, going into the end zone. Immediately following that, we're switching over and our young guys are getting reps on the opposite way, going the, going the opposite direction, right, young guys against young guys for four more plays. As that's happening, you allow time to transition for the – second group to, to transition sides of the ball, become offense or whatever you got to do over there to get that next part of the drill set up. And then you're going your second group against your first group. And then immediately following that, because we want our ones to get twice as many reps because they're the guys that's going to play on Friday night. They then jump, jump immediately from being on scout defense over to the opposite side of the 50 and take uh, offensive reps going against the young guy scout defense. So that allows us to have a kind of an innovative response to how you're going to make sure uh, in a 10-minute period, you're getting enough reps for everybody. It allows you to get what well, we, we say we've got to get 16 plays in in 10 minutes. That, that kind of allows you that opportunity. Um, so it's just, again, aligning everything with, with curling up in your hedgehog ball, right? Absolutely. And that was, that's a nice segue to my next question, which was going to be, I mean, your, your program now, you said, has about 70 kids. But if you think back – when you had 35, 40, 45 kids, which is much more similar to what we might have over here at some of our lower programs. What are some of the, maybe you could just describe for listeners what you were facing with, what were some of the challenges you had, uh, uh, maybe just at a high level, and some of the things you did to tackle that. I mean, you just touched on that um, inside run period there, which is a, a nice little piece of advice, but what were some of the, the big things that you tackled in terms of getting these younger players up and then making sure that you were developing them for the future. Yeah, sure. So when, and, and I say 70, we didn't have 70 kids last year. As, as we began doing projections and, and recruited some guys in the hallway and we got a big freshman class coming up, that sort of thing. We had more like 48 last year. We were just under 50. Um, but when I did have more like 35, 40 kids, it again leads you to, to have to become innovative, right? You, you have to become innovative in what you're doing. You may have kids like I did when I was uh, at, at a lower level and had only 30 kids on my roster where there's a, a big time discrepancy in the talent level amongst kids, right? Where I may have five really good football players and then it's a big drop off from there. And, and at times there's kids you're wondering why they even are on a football field, but at the same time you need them because your numbers are so low, that sort of thing. So it, it led us to become innovative there too. Um, we started doing half line type drills where instead of going, I don't know, 11 on 11 or whatever it is, we would break down and do center guard tackle over and, and 
allow some best on best type things to take place on the front side of plays, right? Where we'd start working, I don't know, maybe a double team on power on the front side to where we get our, our best tackle, our best guard, then double teaming one of our better defensive linemen um, and, and do kind of that sort of thing as a, as a approach, as opposed to what I just described earlier with what we do now. Um, that becomes vastly important. Um, innovation becomes the key when you have less numbers. So half line periods, trying to work individual stuff with guys, that becomes vastly more important. A half line pass can be done the same way where I take half the field and, and now instead of having my best receiver going against a, a lesser DB, my second best receiver, who would be on the other side of the field, let's say, can now come over and play DB on that guy. And now they can get some real work in a setting that's still football. It's not one-on-one -on -one throwing a ball out there at a guy, right, in a one-on-one -on -one setting. It's still actual football, but you're only working half the field. For us, that's a vastly important drill, not only to, to put the best guys on the best guys, but also because it allows our quarterbacks to cut the field in half. So we, we kind of force them to say, okay, this, this is the half of the field you got, regardless of what look you get. You've got to work over there. And it kind of forces them to make some hard decisions on that as well. So just some of those things become important to us. Um, the part to whole teaching method, I think, is what you really, really have to rely on when your numbers are low. Um, if it's okay with you, Adam, I'm just going to get into the part to whole teaching method. You all right with that? Absolutely. That was going to be my next question. Perfect. So I, th I think these two things really kind of go together. So we... I told you, I, I went out and just started researching everything I could and talking to as many coaches as I could and kind of came up with some solutions to what I considered problems at the time I had been. One of the most important came when I, when I read a book called uh, Flow by Mihai Csikszent Mihai. And I've YouTubed that name a dozen times to pronounce it the right way, and I probably still messed it up. Uh, but anyway, he, he's a positive sports uh, psychologist and he came up with this theory of flow and basically it boils down to this in order for people to kind of find enjoyment in what they're doing uh, they try to get into this this kind of I don't know how to describe it consciousness that is flow right in the sports world we always refer to it at least in America as being in the zone right where I'm in the zone I, I and people describe what being in the zone is like. And you hear, for instance, a, a pitcher in baseball talk about throwing a no-hitter. Well, he talks about how everything's moving slower. He can recognize everything that much faster. He, he's found this flow state. So anyway, uh, Mihai Csikszent Mihai wrote this book on how you get in the flow, right? Or how I would term it, how you get in the zone. And he describes there needs to be three criteria. Um, and the, the, the criteria, I'm going to pull it up here so I don't mess these things up for you. The criteria that needs to be met are, number one, you have to be in a, a, an activity that has a clear set of goals, clear set of progress. Um, I can see where I'm going. I can see what I'm doing. And, and there's progress towards those goals. The second criteria is it has to have immediate feedback. You have to know whether you're reaching those goals or you're not reaching those goals. Well, football provides that, right? It naturally provides that. There's a clear set of goals, winners, losers, play in, play out. You can kind of decide who's winning, who's losing that play, um, and it provides you that feedback. So the thing we as coaches need to focus on is the third uh, condition that has to exist for uh, getting in the zone, and that is an individual has to kind of have a good balance between between what the challenge is and their ability to accomplish the challenge, right? So 
how that affects us as coaches is everything we do has to be about, and this is also partly why we chose player development as our focal point as a, as a staff is what we do is to, to put players in a ability where they feel confident at the task at hand. So there's a great chart and I can't give it to you in a podcast, but there's a great chart that comes out of this flow theory that if you can imagine it, there, there's a, on the bottom, it, it's uh, the challenge that exists, right? Or, or excuse me, the, the side axis is the challenge that exists and the bottom is the skill level you have. And flow kind of follows this perpendicular lines uh, that are parallel going kind of at a 45 degree up that chart. So I say this so you can stay with me. As we looked at football practices, we said, okay, we can align our practices with skill development that fits in this area of being in the zone. And what sports psychologist has described, okay, we can, we can structure our practice in a way that allows our kids to find flow or find in the zone feelings throughout the course of practice. So how we go about doing that is through identifying different ways that we're developing skill. So the first way we say we're going to develop skill is through isolated drills. And I can imagine this becomes really, really, really important in the UK right now, where you're talking about guys that in many cases I would imagine have no experience with football whatsoever. Um, so isolated drills comes from the bare, basic, most simple movement uh, you could ask a guy to do. Um, there, there's a great book out there called The Talent Code um, and then a, a follow-up book that was written about that called The Little Book of Talent where they talk about hard skills versus soft skills. Isolated drills focus on hard skill development. And what is hard skill development? It is the basic movements that our guys um, enact every time they make a decision on a football field. So if you think about it from a linebacker's perspective, excuse me, if I just got a pulling guard and, and a flow from the running back that suggests an outside run is coming to my right, I am going to enact some type of hard skill to put myself in a better position to get in an area to where I can go make that tackle, right? My hard skill response to that for me, if I'm coaching linebackers and we're talking about linebackers, would be getting to what we call the scrape gap off the tackle's butt. So I'm going to enact a hard skill that's going to put me on an angle that's going to get me outside. So isolated drills is something you can do with somebody walking off the streets that's never even heard of football, but it's going to allow them to develop skills over time that puts them in a position to where they can react and enact these skills to accomplish things on a football field. So that's how we start every one of our practices. We, we, we don't come together and do any sort of team stretch or anything like that. Instead, we do stretches in individual groups. So when we hit the practice field, our guys, we say foundation period, and they all run to their individual coaches, and they're doing an individual quick stretch. We have a routine that everybody does. It's five or six quick uh, deals, and then we're right into hard skill development, which is our, our uh, kind of where we start everything. So when our players come out from class, or I imagine if you, your guys coming from wherever they're coming from when you're practicing, they can start with something that is the most basic fundamental of, of, of how they need to interact with the football field that day. And they can develop skill in the process. There's a couple of things that's really important here. When you're, you're looking at hard skill development and isolated drills, you've got to understand how our minds work. Our minds develop skill through something called myelin. And it, it's, we're really good at um, kind of creating paths and following that path, but we're really bad at at breaking habits of following those paths. So these people that study the talent development say the first drills that you do are the most important. 
Think about it like sledding on a hill. The first sled tracks are the most important because every other sled that follows down that hill, sledding right in the snow, follows those same tracks. They pull themselves to that same tracks. So we want to make sure this is also our most sharpest point of practice. Isolated drills set everything else up. You'll hear our coaches constantly say, everything we do here sets everything else up for the rest of the day. So we've got to be precise. We've got to be great at it. So those are isolated drills. So we identify, we talk about, and in fact, in our off season right now, one of the biggest components we're talking about is what isolated drills we need to use, what, what isolated drills we need to use to ensure that we're putting our players in the best position to kind of carry out the, the schemes we want to carry out with them. So the next step up from that, so that's hard skill development with isolated drills. The next step up from that is what is referred to in the talent code uh, as uh, soft skills, right? Soft skills is decision-making, right? They're different than hard skills. Hard skills, if you can picture Hard skills got to be somewhat robotic. A robot would be really good at doing hard skills. You have to move from point A to point B this way. It's got to be done over and over again the same way. Um, and you got to be really good at it. Soft skills is more about feeling your way through. Uh, a quarterback recognizing a certain type of coverage and then feeling where a linebacker goes and then making him wrong on that, right? Uh, a linebacker feeling the the – uh, block that's coming his way on a down block and how he can best enact a hard skill to, to defeat that block, that sort of thing. So our next level up from isolated uh, drills becomes integrated drills. Isolated drills are focused on hard skill development. Integrated drills are focused on soft skill development. You've got to develop them differently. And he, here's what I think is a big mistake that coaches make. And, and one I've kind of learned from watching and being around some really, really good older coaches is you can't focus on both those things simultaneously. And we've learned this as a staff. If I'm focused on an isolated drill where I'm working on, uh, I don't know, just, just footwork for quarterbacks, let's say. It's, so we're working on footwork on, on a sprint out to throw some type of smash concept out to the field side. I can't focus on him recognizing the, the corner's uh, spot right, where the corner's dropping and making a soft skill decision. At the same time, I'm trying to work on hard skill development. So we intentionally differentiate those two things. If I'm trying to develop hard skills with those guys, I take the soft skill decisions out of it. Take it out. Let them know what's coming. Let them know this is exactly what the read's going to be. And make sure that they know their focus has got to be on the hard skill development, not necessarily the integrated soft skills. Of it. So we differentiate between those two drills. And then we set up different drills uh, that become integrated drills that they got to make decisions in. So the example I just gave you was a sprint out for a quarterback. One of our most basic concepts is a, is a sprint out smash concept to the field side. So an integrated drill would be, okay, we're going to work on the footwork of that. And then you're throwing the ball into a tire. There's no read. You're just throwing the ball into the tire, and that's our hard skill we're working on. Well, our guys then have the ability to focus on becoming better at the hard skills they need to accomplish that task. We may do a follow-up drill to that. If, if that sprint out play is what we really need to focus on that day, a follow-up integrated drill would be, okay, now same drill. I don't want you to focus on the footwork of it, which is a hard skill. I want you to focus on the soft skills of it and feeling this cornerback. And then we might talk about some pre-snap reads that this cornerback's giving you some tells on where he's going and then reading him to make him wrong. If he's playing some type of cover two and he's down in the flats, well, then I want to set to the hitch, make him come down and then throw the corner behind his head. If he's bailing out of there, I need to realize that and bang the hitch 
what's in there, that sort of thing. So it's differentiating the, the, the two types of drills and not trying to mix, focus on developing hard skills and focus on developing soft skills, instead differentiating those two things in drills. When you try to do them both at the same time, the position you're putting the player in is you're just going through game reps at that point. So again, we kind of focus on that ordeal as well. Um, going up from that would be, okay, after integrated drills, we start talking about uh, scrimmage-like drills, right? And scrimmage-like drills would be some of the ones I, I talked about earlier is a really good answer for, for developing a lesser, lesser number of guys, or in some cases I've been in lesser talented guys, right? Um, a scrimmage drill for us would be at the half-line period. Um, half-line run, half-line pass, whatever it is. A scrimmage drill would be, okay, we're just going to work on inside run power plays and get rid of all guys that aren't focused on that piece because we're really focused on what we're doing. So scrimmage plays is taking the game of football but then breaking it down into individual components, right, which most teams – I don't think this is lacking in football in any way, shape, or form. I think most teams will follow an inside run, a seven-on-seven, seven, all those things, and do some type of scrimmage drill that allows it to break down. The mistake I think I see mostly with this is the gotcha coach right, where he wants to throw something in just to catch you off guard as a player. In my opinion, what you do when, when, when you research what talent developers have, have researched and focused on, what you do when you become the gotcha coach and you throw in a wrinkle just to catch somebody is you've disrupted that guy's flow, right? You've put that guy in a situation where he can't just focus on the individual component you were working on in that drill. Instead, now he's got to turn it into a game-like setting and can't become better at the, the, the skills he was working on, if that makes sense. So I'll give you an example. If we're doing a blitz pickup period with our quarterbacks and our quarterbacks know that we're, we're blitzing you and you've got to recognize that we're going to replace the blitzer with the ball, right? And, and wherever that blitzer's coming from, I'm going to, I'm going to read that side and I'm going, to, I'm going to put the ball on that side to, to make it difficult for them to cover. And all of a sudden, I don't get him with a blitzer and just drop everybody in coverage. I just disrupted his flow. I just messed him up so I could feel like I caught him. He's not, he's not, it's the wrong answer. Scrimmage drills are focused on keeping guys in flow, segmenting football down into individual levels, and then letting guys focus within that levels to develop skill. If you want to put them in a situation where you get them, then put them in a game setting, which would be the next level up from scrimmage. Okay, now you're in game settings, and it's real game-like scenarios. And we, we actually call them that. What we're talking about as a staff, we say put our guys in scenarios. Earlier I mentioned we do everything in four-play segments. Each one of those four-play segments has a scenario that they're in. So we may be in a, I don't know, third down – situations where all four of those um, plays are, are different third downs or we might be in the red zone all four of those plays are in the red zone um, different scenarios that become important to your your success on the football field is kind of how we use in our game situation so instead of just saying we're going to come together as a team and run these plays we say okay and and this sequence of plays here's the scenario we're in the game here's how you have that and our philosophy on this is that better prepares them on on in our cases Friday nights when they're in game settings for understanding situations I think too oftentimes um, I see coaches say well they just don't have a high football IQ or whatever it is they didn't understand well what are you doing in practice to develop their football IQ in scenarios uh, in team drills and in game settings allows them to do that now I've been convinced here recently I'm lucky enough I told you I have an amazing wife earlier I'm lucky enough that my wife uh, in my wife's family, there's an individual who's a, a really well-established baseball coach. He was actually at a, a university here in Ohio, at Wright State University, and had a lot of success there, and recently became a, a uh, major coach 
for the Yankees, the New York Yankees. He uh, oversees some of their base running and, and hitting at their developmental leagues. So he, he has convinced me through conversation that there's actually another level that you can get to past game. He calls them hacks, right? So the hack is actually putting guys in a situation that's more difficult than a game setting. And his example for this for baseball was he'll take a, a player on first base who has to, de to decide whether or not he's going to be able to steal second base, right? And he will, he will take a video of the pitcher going through the pitching motion all the way up to the point where he's going to either pitch the ball to, to the batter or he's going to try to pick the guy off at first base and throw the ball over there and get him out. And he blacks out the screen at that point. And now he has to make a decision. Okay, did that guy, through, through the beginning phase of his movement, did he tell me that he's going to, to the, the batter and I can go ahead and steal right here? Or do I need to hurry up and get my bet back to first because he's picking me off? And it's requiring a guy to think and function at a, at a level higher than a game setting to make it more difficult for him. So this would be something you do with more experienced players and you would do it out of season, I would say, when you're doing your talent development, whether it's in your preseason camp or your offseason, whatever it is, there's, that's where those things kind of fit. And he's uh, described to me that uh, these are confidence killers, right? And I agree with him, right? They're confidence killers at times. Your guys will get frustrated with these because they're wrong as often as they're right and probably way more than they're right. Uh, but it also allows them to focus on a higher level. I also wouldn't do the, a hack type drill with younger players that are just now getting into it. I would do this with more experienced guys that are, that are ready for, for higher challenges. Right. So I, I guess the whole point of bringing up the part, the whole teaching method is everything we do practice wise is structured around that concept. And we have a universal language of, of those type of drills that we use in our conversations. When we're setting up our practice plan, we talk about what's our isolated drills. And for us, it's what are you doing in foundation period? Uh, are, are you going to find another additional isolated period during this or during that or whatever the case may be? Um, and then we talk about what our integrated drills are going to be. And we, we structurally set up practice where we're going to constantly have integrated drills that match up with the isolated drills we're working on, but then also on whatever it is we're, we're going to next in our, our phase of scrimmages, right? So an integrated drill for us, a really good one, I think a good example here would be, let's say we're working on traditional gap scheme power. We're running a pulling guard, pulling for a front side linebacker, and we're running power. Well, we would go from our O-line coach working indie foundational type development, whether it's pools or double teams or whatever it is with his guys, into an integrated drill to where we break down each individual block across the, the field. So if you can imagine we're standing dead center of the field and that's where our center is. Well, our center would work with a pulling guard there and they would just work on the back block and a guard pulling around for the, the front side backer. And we'd give them two defenders to work on there. That way they're just working on that, uh, that individual component of that pulling guard recognizing, which is a soft skill, recognizing how he needs to attack that linebacker. Same thing with our center, the back block uh, on the D tackle cross from me. Well, he's recognizing that, which is a soft skill. So, so we break it into an integrated drill. And then going over from there, the guard and tackle would be working together on a double team to a backside backer. So we break each individual component, component of that blocking scheme down into uh, an integrated drill and then run through those to where um, our guys can develop that into a run session, a scrimmage session that includes power schemes, right? Um, and, and then everything kind of develops from there. Isolated drill into an integrated drill, into a scrimmage setting, into a game setting. And that's kind of how we go. And I told you before, all of our game settings are scenarios. So 
that's kind of the philosophy of the part, the whole teaching method. It, it has provided our staff with a universal language that can be used as we're planning practices, as we're getting stuff together and that sort of thing. And it's been really good for us. The one downside I will tell you, uh, and this is kind of more of a recent study for me, is um, there has been some research out there to suggest, and it's not necessarily in the football world, more in the educational world, but there's some research out there to suggest that oftentimes block style practice or something like let's say we did only power plays and that's all we focused on that day and then we moved on the next day to another type of scheme by blocking something in on practice you kind of limit the the soft skill development your your players will receive because they're only having the opportunity to to do that one thing that day so i think when we go to game settings one change we're going to make this year is we're going to include more of an interleaving approach meaning we're going to incorporate different uh type uh schemes in that period for us on defense let's say we're, we're playing on the defensive side of the ball instead of saying okay you just got option offense stuff coming at you today and that's all you're getting we would throw in different wrinkles once we get to a game setting that way our guys uh are still having to decipher the different types of offenses that are coming at them and it actually research suggests in the educational world it leads to more concrete um, kind of memory and, and skill development coach that's great um Lots of great advice there, and I'm picking up, I'm making notes on a few of these things that you're saying. Um, we've come to the end, though. Uh, before you go, um, we'd like to give the coaches the opportunity to share their social media handles in case any of the listeners want to, to reach out and get in contact and ask questions. Um, would you be happy to share your social media handles? Absolutely. I, I am, social media-wise, I am only on Twitter. I am an old soul, unfortunately, but I am on Twitter, and I will be more than happy to respond to you on there. I am at Coach J Daniels. That's at Coach J D A N I E L S. Uh, I'll give out my email as well. If if you're not somebody that's on Twitter, you're more than welcome to email me. I will gladly send you anything I have, practice plans, whatever you need to help out. Uh, but my email is J O N John Daniels D A N I E L S at N E L S D dot org. That is John Daniels at N E L S D dot org. Brilliant. Thanks, Coach. Really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to speak to us and hopefully the 2020 season goes ahead and best of luck for the upcoming year. Thanks, buddy. Thank you again to Coach Daniels for taking the time to talk to us. Tune in next time for another BAFCA coaching podcast episode.